0: Good morning. How are you guys? Okay. All right. Yeah. Perk up a little bit. Wake up. All right. Well, this morning we are continuing to study First Peter chapter 5. We're going to hang out in this passage again for a few weeks as we, we're we starting the, the, the year with a recognition of a need for what we're calling a discipleship reboot, right? And it, it comes from that that little twirling circle that pops up on the top of your phone that lets you know that the phone is turned on, but it just ain't doing anything, right? And you're just waiting for it and waiting for it. And, you know, that's what the Christian life can feel like sometimes. It's like, well, I know I'm a Christian and I know God loves me and he's got a purpose for me, but it just doesn't feel like a lot's going on right now. I just kind of Turning and turning and turning. And sometimes we just need a reboot, right? So that's what we're trying to do here in the beginning of the year. Get us rebooted for all that God has. All right, but I wanted to tap into something that's taking place this week. You know, just, just when you think it can't get any weirder. Um, anybody, anybody paying attention to the stock market this past week or so? Yeah. Uh, so just a new category for weird to show up in, right? Weird has been in most categories. Now, weird has gone to Wall Street, And so if you haven't been playing along, uh, you might not be familiar. Okay, so there's this, there's a couple of stocks out there that I just want to say, they they don't make any sense as to why they are as valuable on the stock market as they are. And and what this is going to illustrate for us as we get into the word today is ideas can get traction in our hearts. Ideas can come along out of nowhere and convince us about things at such a level that we begin to do things that don't make any sense, All right? So one of the things that happened on Wall Street is people have been radically, crazily investing in a company called GameStop. Now, if you have a teenager or a young person, you know, you know who GameStop is. GameStop sells like video games and that sort of thing for your kids, video platforms. But it is old school. It is not going to be able to survive much longer because everything you can get at that GameStop place, you can just download by never leaving your house. So like most stores that sell stuff that you can just download, they're all putting up you know, going on a business sale kind of stuff in their windows. So everybody knows GameStop is about to just go away and become worth nothing. Or maybe not, right? So there's some people that all of a sudden said, hey, no, let's invest in GameStop. And I don't know that they're playing a game or what they're doing exactly, but they have invested at such a level, billions of dollars into GameStop stock. They have drove the price up. 1,700% increase in price over the last few months. Now, if you're an investor, you've never heard of that ever in your life. 1,700% increase in my investment? But it makes no sense. The, the company's not any more valuable than before all that stuff got started. So I'm reading an article the other day about this event. And in the event, they mention another company that's just got this crazy, ridiculous value in its stock. And it's Tesla. You guys know Tesla? Tesla. Uh, Like probably every once in a blue moon, you see a Tesla car. I mean, it's like once in a blue moon. You almost never see a Tesla car, but they are out there. There's just not very many of them. But Tesla is a company that in the stock world, it's worth $800 billion in, in the stock world. And that doesn't mean much to us. But when I tell it to you this way, that means Tesla is worth much, much, severely much more than every other major automaker combined combined right Toyota Honda GM Ford take them all combine all of their value and you won't even come close to 800 billion dollars now the funny thing is though on your ride home today please I want you to count how many Teslas you pass up on the way home it doesn't make any sense that there's this extreme value, but there's something weird about a bunch of people all doing the same thing at the same time that gives value to an idea that something in our soul goes, hey, that, that must be important. That's got to be valuable. That's really good. Maybe not, right? But what we're looking at today, we're, we're glancing at some ideas, right? This is the apostle Peter under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, sitting with a group of believers who are about to navigate their way into life, the year 64 AD, he's going he's to speak some ideas to them. He's going to present to them some things that they can, if you will, invest their lives in and get some kind of a return on their investments. But these ideas sometimes have the hardest time gaining traction in our lives. But yet they're living ideas. They're God's word for us. So, so, so right now, you and I, hey, we're looking to make an investment, right? We're going we're to invest our thoughts. We're going to invest our, our reading time. We're going to invest our faith in something this year. alright let's, let's invest where the apostle Peter is inspired to lead us. Last week, we started chapter 5 and looked at uh, the need for the believer to come into this year with two critical things that he talked about last week. That we are members of a flock and that we are being led by shepherds, right? These are not negotiable items for the Christian life. There's not like there's a version of doing the Christian life that follows Jesus and is a disciple of Jesus, but you're not a part of a flock. You're not connected to another group of people who are walking with Jesus as well. And you don't have any shepherds in your life. There's there's no pastoral leadership taking place in your walk with God, right? Peter showed us critical things. Don't leave home without them, right? And he's got a few more of them in here in this passage that I want to pick up today. And just primarily this one concept, at this point, starting the year, we want to reboot our humility. All right, so let's look at what Peter says here. in 1 Peter chapter 5, starting in verse 5. He says, likewise, you who are younger, be subject to to the elders, right? We learned about those elders last week. Clothe yourselves, right? This is for everybody. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another. For God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time, he may exalt you, casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. Be sober-minded. Be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. Resist him firm in your faith. Let's pray just for a moment and ask God for help. Lord, these words written way before any of us came along. Outdated, perhaps. But Lord, they had never been less meaningful more meaningful rather than they are and need to be to us today. So Father, as we just stare into what you have inspired, words for us to incorporate into our lives, Lord, that we might live lives that receive grace from you and bring glory to your name. God, help us open our hearts, open our ears. In Jesus' name, amen. Let me point out some things that are in this verse that I I wanna make sure, I wanna make sure this for my own soul. That these are not just Word concepts that kind of like sit in a dictionary somewhere. They sit on a bookshelf. Uh, these, are, these are experiences. These are words that you actually get to experience from the inside out. W- words like humility, humbling yourselves. That's an experience that comes from the inside out. It's, it's just not something that we hear about out there that, you know, you ought to aspire, you ought to try to be that. It's something that comes from the inside and it works its way out. And that produces in us a particular life. See, see, the Christian life is not just supposed to be ideas that somebody tells you about that you read outside of you. And you say, well, I'm going with all my effort, I'm going to try and be that. The Christian life is a life that comes to the inside of us by the Spirit. And then it pushes its way out. It compels itself out of us. But it shows up in humility. There's awareness in this passage, right? Particularly that... Verse six, humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God. There's an awareness in that passage. An awareness of what? Well, that there is a God and that he's a mighty God. Now, listen, if I don't know that, if if that doesn't bear witness with me that that's what this God is like, uh, I'm not seeking to humble myself before him. If he's not impressive, if he can't come through, if he doesn't have a lot of power, if he doesn't have status, I'm just going to treat him like that then, right? I need to know something on the inside that this God is God and he's mighty and he cares for me. Casting all your cares or your anxieties on him because he cares for you. There's something in my heart that needs to know. I need to know it when I start this year. I need to know it right now, maybe this morning, that this God actually cares for me. He knows my name. He has affection for me. He has desires for me. Things that are going on in my life matter to him. He wants to talk to me about this stuff. That's an awareness, right? That's something that I own on the inside of me that compels me to come near him. So if I'm not coming near to God, I'm not humbling myself and pursuing him, then then I have issues in these other categories, right? I have have mighty God problems. I, I don't see him right. I have a lack of awareness that he actually does care about me personally, right? And then there's other stuff in here. We'll unpack them maybe next time. There's timing in here, right? There is a mention that at the proper time, he will exalt you. Listen, I totally get that, you know, in this passage, there's an exalting thing going on, right? There's something here that that feels like to us, the Bible is okay with the idea that you and I could go from, from this place to this place right? And whatever exalting means, right? I mean, maybe none of us want to be king of the universe or run our own country, but I just, I just want an upgrade. You know, I just want God to be involved in taking my life to a better place. I I just want my business to be better. I want my family to be better. I want my health to be better. Just want God to be involved in exalting something about my life. And this passage actually highlights that God would do something like that, but it installs some thought here, right? At the proper time. And then if I humble myself under God and I let him be God and not me, I may find out he's going to exalt me in the proper way as well. So there's a lot in this verse right here. But this experiential dimension, let me just highlight something for us. Let's not be satisfied to be disciples, to be followers of Christ, where these things aren't being experienced from the inside out. I wrote in your notes there that you can go back and think about the church. Historically, the church seems to cycle through moments or years or seasons where the mystery of internal compulsion has waned. People just aren't feeling God. They're not feeling the motivation by God in their lives. So in other words, we're not the first Christians who have needed a discipleship reboot. That's happened before. I've been spending some time reading about uh, thoughts and the the life of a man named A. B. Simpson. He was a pastor and, and really founded a movement, a uh, Christian movement, back in the mid to late 1800s and into the beginning of the 1900s. Uh, some of us are familiar with these movements, the Christian Missionary Alliance. A more famous guy involved with Christian Missionary Alliance was A. W. Tozer, but A. B. Simpson's actually the guy who got things started and. He stared out at what was going on in the Christian world of his day in the late 1800s. And and he could have preached to us today, right? This is what he said. He begins by quoting Jeremiah, who Jeremiah is staring out in a moment in his day where this internal work of God seems to be missing in Jeremiah's day as well, but also in A.B. Simpson's. He says, call unto me and I will answer thee. This is what God said to Jeremiah. And show thee great and mighty things which thou knowest not. I've always loved that passage. It's in Jeremiah chapter 33. I I pick it up sometimes in my prayer times as an invitation from God, the way it was for Jeremiah, that God would speak to Jeremiah. And I want to hear this in my own life, right? For God to say, hey, I want you to call to me. This is a God who's leaning in to my prayer time, who's saying, hey, call to me, and I'll show you things that you don't even know. Right, well, that would be pretty easy for me. There's a lot I don't know, right? Jeremiah didn't know some things. We don't know some things. And God wants to have an audience with us. He goes on, Simpson says, The greatest need of the world is the revelation of God Himself and the belief in His supernatural reality and power. Man has grown so wise and great that he has no room for God and God's great purpose is to manifest himself as the real, as the almighty, and as the supreme, right? Man has come to a place in the 1800s where he's pretty set. I got this. We've invented some technology. We're making life work. We're improving some things. Uh, We kind of don't need God. We don't have time for God. We don't look to God. There's not a sense of our own desperation for God, right? This is the late 1800s, and I don't think our day is any different. Simpson says, Christianity is nothing if it's not everything. Christianity is nothing if it be not altogether supernatural. The great lack of Christianity today is the absence of the supernatural working of God. It's being reduced to a a science. It's being taught as a system. It's being pressed as a ceremony and a form of religious culture. The hearts of many are crying out for something diviner, deeper and more intensely real. And God is waiting in these last days to show himself as the El Shaddai, the God Almighty of Abraham and the consuming fire of Pentecost. Listen, there are moments where maybe in Simpsons Day, they weren't just staring at a little thing, turning in the corner, but there's no power, there's no movement, there's no activity, there's no motivation, there's no sense of launching in my heart. There's no, I want God, I'm passionate for him, taking place in their day. But they had their own sense of departing and distance from God and that their own experience of God was so wanting and weak. Listen, as you and I start this year, we, we can't afford to have God at a great distance from us. And if the pandemic and the busyness of life and the, and the ways in which we've, we've invented our world has created something where God is just so far from us, we can't afford that. Right, so there's this great moment where we're starting the year with humble yourself under the mighty hand of God. Now, I need to chase a rabbit just for a moment because grace gets mentioned in this passage in a way that if you've got some theological background to you, you've read your Bible a little bit, you're bumping into something being said here about grace that feels different than what the Bible has said about grace in other places. And if you've noticed that, you have done well. You have noticed correctly, right? So there's this, f- this statement that gets made in, ch- in verse 5 that gives way to verse 6 And it's basically, verse 6 says, humble yourselves. Well, why? Well, because right before that, in verse 5, because God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. What does that mean? What does that mean to you? Does that mean that God never gives grace to proud people? Does that mean that you have to meet some minimum threshold of being humble and then that will kick in God then deciding to have grace on your life? Is, is that what that means? Right? So if I've read my Bible in other places and not just right here, I know that can't be what that means, right? Because God is the God who initiates a relationship with us while we are sinners, while we are hostile to him, while we are his enemies, while our back is turned to him, not humble, but proud. I can do my own life my own way. God, I don't need you. It's that person that God comes to initially. So I need to be careful how I understand this verse. So let me just lay that groundwork real quickly, and then we'll move back to this verse, right? I'm going to say it this way and. Don't anybody attack me because I'm using some terms here that I'm not even sure they're the right ones to use. All right. Grace is both an uninvited, uncaused element in our lives, right? You don't invite it and you don't cause it to happen. And it is also an invited and caused event in our lives. All right. It is both, right? What, What exactly is grace in the scriptures? Well, in the Bible, grace is this activity of God that brings favor into our life. It's sort of like his mercy and kindness toward us, his goodness that comes to us. If you and I grew up in the church years ago, you would have heard this phrase, grace is unmerited favor. That's what we were taught over and over again. You didn't go two weeks without hearing a message on God's grace is unmerited favor. It's God's favor in your life, but you don't deserve it and you don't earn it and it's not requiring you to earn it. It's unmerited favor. But there's a dimension of experiencing that grace that gets spoken of differently in these passages here, right? So let me clarify again. Here's where God's grace comes from. Here's how it shows up in your life, right? These are verses you should should be spending time in these verses regularly. Deuteronomy chapter 7 is God explaining to Israel why they're being treated special by him. Right. Deuteronomy is God leading his people into the promised land. Did you notice in the Bible, God didn't give everybody a promised land? Does that ever make you curious? The Israelites get a promised land. What about, what about the Egyptians? And what about the Syrians? and What about the other people groups? Do they get their own promised land? No. Only the Israelites get a promised land. So you know what's up with that? Well, here's God explaining to them, you know, Israel. Why do you get special treatments and nobody else does? Deuteronomy seven verse six. God says, "For you are a people holy to the Lord your God. The Lord your God has chosen you to be a people for His treasured possession out of all the peoples who are on the face of the earth." Right. So you'd be wondering, why, God? Why would you do that? Right. And you and I. If you have trusted Christ and you're a Christian, you have this arrangement with God as well. And you'd be wondering as well, okay, God, why would, you, why would you choose me of all the people in the world? Verse seven. Well, Keith, it was not because you were more in number or in anything else. It was not because you were better than anybody else. It's not because you stood out in some way, right? As a nation, it's not because you were more in number than any other people that the Lord set his love on you because, well, you were the fewest of all the peoples. Matter of fact, I made sure and clarified. I didn't pick any of these nations because they were the best. I picked actually the least of them to say something about the nature of my grace. So when when grace comes to our lives initially, it's, it's not because God finds us to be the humblest creatures on earth doesn't come just to say, look at you, you're more humble than everybody else is. So therefore my grace is going to come to you. He says, no, no, you weren't very good at anything righteous when I came to you in grace. Well, why'd you do that, Lord? Verse eight. Well, it's because the Lord loves you and is keeping the oath that he swore to your fathers, that the Lord has brought you out with a mighty hand and redeemed you from the house of slavery, from the hand of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. Lord, why did you do that? Well, it's because I love you. Why do you love me, God? Now, be careful that your pride doesn't want to answer that question. What do you want to hear when God says that, by the way? God, why do you love me? What What are you hoping he'll say? You're the prettiest, tallest, fastest, smartest person I've ever seen. Or at least you're above average. <laughs> what, do you, what do you want God to say in that moment? I love you because you, know, you just make me feel special more than a lot of other people do. And so I, I have set my love on you because there's something about you and you're, you're just, you're special. You're different than everybody else. Therefore, I, I'm just, you just inspire me to love you because you're so special. Now, be honest, wouldn't you like for God to say that to you? I mean, wouldn't you like your husband to say that to you? Wouldn't you like, you know, people in your life to say they love you because something about you is so inspiring. But yet God turns around and says, no, I love you because I love you. Okay. That's how God loves. And I made this promise to your fathers. So I I gave my word and I love you. And that's all about God. And you and I just get to receive it and enjoy it. And thank God that you don't have to perform to get it. You don't have to become really good at something. Stop being so bad at something else. That's not how God comes into relationship with any of us. So this is not a teaching. Peter is not pulling out this teaching to say, hey, If you will just get humble enough, God will love you and make a covenant with you and treat you special unlike anybody else in the world. That's not what Peter's saying. That's not how you and I relate to God. God comes to us when we're stubborn and arrogant and rude. Ephesians chapter 2 is a little bit more clear in the New Testament about this is who we are when God comes to us. I'm just going to read verse 4, but you can go back and read the verses before that. It says, but God being rich in mercy, right? So that's about God. God is spilling over in mercy. Because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, right? If you just stop right there, there is a God who is overflowing in mercy towards us and filled with love towards us. But then he steps back and points out to us, even when you were dead in your trespasses. And the verses before it make it worse than that, actually. The verses before it say, oh, and by the way, you weren't just dead, like, you know, not doing anything. Dead people just lay there. They're not inspiring at all. You weren't just that. You were actually following the devil in this world. And you were engaging all the passions of your flesh, which basically were making you do everything that God is not into you doing. That's what you were doing when this merciful, loving God showed up with his grace in your life. And he then made us alive together With Christ. By grace you have been saved. This is the amazement of grace that comes to our lives under those conditions. But then Peter says, Humble yourselves, therefore. Well, why therefore? Because God opposes the proud and He gives grace to the humble. Is that verse right, wrong, incorrect? Did Peter miss it? it doesn't sound like that's how God does grace. Well, it is how God does grace. It's just not how grace comes to save you. But then grace is at some point, it's going to interact with you in a way that actually it sounds like the way I respond to God's grace matters. And I cannot and I must not jettison that from the Bible because it's in the Bible, right? You have 1 Peter say that. You have James say something very similar. James 4 verse 6. It says, but he gives more grace, right? The word more there is mega, right? This is a cool modern translation. God gives mega grace. Therefore, it says, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Draw near to God and he will draw near to you, right? Well, now it sounds like there's something that I actually do that affects the outcome of how grace gets experienced in my life, right? There's a drawing near to God, but But yeah, but God drew near in the Old Testament to the nation of Israel and they weren't drawing near to him. That's exactly right. And in Ephesians chapter 2, there were people just like us who were following the devil. We were were following the devil. We weren't drawing near to God. We were drawing near to the devil and his ways and the passions of our flesh. And God's by his grace, he drew near to us and he saved us. Yes, absolutely true. Romans 3 is a presentation that there is none who does good. There's none who seek God. All have turned aside. That's absolutely true. So there is a grace that comes to us when our back is turned to God and he overtakes us. But this grace is being described differently. This is a grace that gets experienced when we draw near to God. We experience God drawing near to us. When we humble ourselves under the mighty hand of God, we experience his exaltation in our lives. So let this grace just be what it is. Don't try and undo it. Don't try and argue with it. Don't try and take out a justification, mallet, and beat it to death. It's just displaying, hey, there's some things that you and I do that bring an experience and a welcoming of God's grace into our lives. Verse 10 in James 4, humble yourselves before the Lord and he will exalt you. So let's be careful we don't confuse those elements. Let's not turn God into a God who can only respond to us if we meet some criteria. That's not God. But let's not jettison these verses either that say if you humble yourself, there's going to be an encounter. There's going to be an impact of grace in our lives. All right, so what does it mean then to humble yourself before the Lord? Well, here's going to be my simple angle to come from this morning. To humble ourselves is to simply put ourselves in our proper place and let god be in his proper place and whenever you see this conversation taking place in the scriptures it's also going to be to bring our will under submission to god's will right so in one sense for me to humble myself is just to, to genuinely recognize who i really am i'm a creature created by god he is the creator I have a place. There are things about me that are true and there are things about me that are not true. I'm just, I'm just living in the place that God created me to be. So there's a, a humbling dimension for me to recognize I'm, I'm just a creature. I'm just something that God created. I'm not God. I, I don't have that kind of visa limit in my life. There are things that I just can't do and I can't afford and I can't pull off. I have to humble myself to recognize I'm a creature. I've got limitations in my life. And there's a will involved in my life. And I'm being called to submit that will to God's will. A.B. Simpson, go back to his thought. He said, the greatest need of the world is the revelation of God himself. In other words, I need that. I need a revelation of God. And the belief in his supernatural reality and power. I need this God to be mighty and supernatural. Man has grown so wise and great that he has no room for God. He thinks he doesn't need God, right? That's the opposite of humility. Humility recognizes I'm a creature who needs God, right? There's creaturely needs. This is why fasting, we'll talk about it a little bit. Fasting has that dimension of of displaying to you, you have needs, don't you? You put food down and all of a sudden your body lets you know, hey, you you can't keep doing this forever. You're going to need to eat something, man. You you feel the weakness of being a creature? I need something to eat, dude. That's what your body is telling you. There's a moment in which we come in touch with our own creatureliness and we let God live in an exalted place. So look how this plays out in 1 Peter 5, verse 6. These are massively important pieces of our story. Do not let them fall by the wayside. Humble yourselves, right? Just be a creature. Just be in a posture of need before God under the mighty hand of God. God is in a different category. He has a mighty hand, He is God. Almighty, all might, all power belongs to him. He even is so mighty that he controls time. So that at the proper time, God may exalt you at the proper time. Listen, wouldn't you and I like to control time? The timing of our lives, when things happen. But we don't have that kind of control. That's what humility does. It recognizes I'm a creature. I don't control time. I don't control events. I don't control people. I don't control circumstances. I humble myself before the God who does though. So when I'm looking at my life and my life looks like the wheels are coming off and there's a mess being made and this is all going to end terribly and I insist that this end by next week and I'll figure out a way to fix it. I'll blow this up, exchange that, buy that thing. I'm going to do something. That's not humility, right? That's me exerting every ounce of human force that I can bring on this moment to make my life become. But humility recognizes I'm a creature. I've got limitations. But there is a mighty God. And he controls the proper times of all things. And he can exalt anything to its proper place. That's, That's an awareness. That's a compelling awareness. This is the awareness that rescues us from fear, It rescues us from manipulating life and manipulating others. But listen, if I don't humble myself, these are foreign experiences. I don't really know much about this without being near to God and humbling myself and being in God's presence. So let me just feature this thought from Charles Spurgeon. He's gonna talk about yielding our will. And this is a massive thing, it's a great place to just talk about a reboot. Do, Do I need to reboot my will? My my will. I just installed this little comparison. You know, our, our wills can live in deferment or in defiance. I can defer to God with my will, or I can live in defiance to God with my will. And listen, we've got all we've all got reasons that are very understandable as to why we live in defiance to God's will. We, you know, God's called us to something that we feel like we don't have the faith for it. That's too hard. That's risky. I could get hurt right there. And so we begin to kind of defy God and say, I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to do that because I don't think that's good for me. And we live like that's pride, right? That is me giving myself a, a, an upgrade that says, I know what's best. My will is like GameStop stock. It's worth a lot. It's a dangerous place. And Charles Spurgeon is going to say something here that, quite honestly, it's, it's, it's a little hard to hear today. Charles Spurgeon was a pastor in London, England in the mid to late 1800s. So he's a similar time frame to A.B. Simpson. And he's going to say something here that coming off of his lips made perfect sense. But when it lands in the year 2021, it almost sounds like, what? Is that guy even a Christian? Is that really what the Bible says? All right, just listen carefully. He picks up this phrase from 1 Peter and says, Humble yourself, therefore, under the mighty hand of God. Yield up your will so as to have no suit in law against the Lord. You know, you know what that phrase is? Right, you guys have heard me say this. Right, sometimes life happens and events unfold and it's like we want to sue God. We want to take God to court. Because, you know, it's like we expected life to go this way and to have these events and to feel this way and to avoid some of these issues. And next thing you know, I'm over here and almost like God's some company that's provided something to me. That's not, the, that's not what we talked about. That's not what I purchased. God, when I trusted you, I was trusting that life would be this and this and then this and this. And how did I end up over here? I want my money back. I'm taking you to court. And even if you can't figure out how to take God to court, in your heart, you can feel like you're taking God to court. You're mad at him, right? He let my life go in the wrong category. How dare him? How can I trust him? He's not good. All right, so this is Charles Spurgeon saying, okay, that's a will problem. Yield your will so as to have no suit in law against the Lord. No difference as to his goodness. Not even if the evil you dread should actually come and come in the worst form. Submit to the Lord's will as the rush bends to the wind or as the wax yields to the seal. Pray against the calamity. right? I appreciate that he gives us room for that. Right? You don't want that thing to happen? Well, pray that it won't. Pray against the calamity which moves you to fear, but let your petitions always end with... Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will, ask that you may not be obliged to drink the bitter drink, but do not upset the cup nor push it away. There, let it stand while you for the moment supplicate for its removal. And when there comes no answer to your prayer, then take it up meekly Put it to your lips resolutely and drink right on even as your master drank his cup and drained it to the dregs. Now I'm aware, you know, even in praying this week and looking at these verses and this quote, I'm aware that there are some folks who have been living in what feels like a pretty bitter cup. They're drinking from a bitter Cup. Doing what Charles Spurgeon is describing here is not easy to do. It's challenging to humble yourself and submit under a mighty hand of God when bitterness continues to be the flavor of life day after day. It just it tastes bitter, Lord. It tastes bitter. And he says something very helpful next. He says, This Needs the help of the Holy Spirit, and truly, He waits to help us. Don't want to undervalue what we're talking about today and what we're going to be talking about for the next 21 days, as I tell you later on. You and I need to engage the Holy Spirit to do life in these spaces. You are not going to drink that cup without the help of the Holy Spirit. You're going to need to encounter the, the grace and the aid of the Spirit. In your life to drink this kind of a cup, He delights to aid us in such holy acts of submission. Nothing is better for us in our time of tribulation than to bow ourselves in lowliest obeisance before the hand of God. Dear friend, what can be the use of striving against the hand of the Lord? It is a mighty hand. We cannot resist it, even if we are wicked enough to attempt rebellion. If affliction is to come, it will come and come with all the greater sharpness because we refuse to yield. If God appoints a trial, we cannot escape it. What can be the use of our striving against divine decrees? It will only make our sorrow more severe. When the ox kicks against the goad, the iron enters deeper into its flesh. But when the bullock hastens on its way, sensitive to the least touch. The driver scarcely urges it again. It's an interesting farm illustration there that if you're not familiar with oxen, you don't get any of it, right? The goat is sort of like a, like a cattle prod is what it is. And so you're out in the field and you've got your oxen and there's this yoke attached to them that's pulling a plow and then the ox gets to the place where I don't want to do this. I don't know what I was created for, but I'm sick of doing this. And so he just decides to just stand there. He's not moving anymore. Well, the guy driving him has this goad, this prod, and it's a long stick. And on the end of it often was, a, was a, a, a jagged piece of metal on the end of it. And so he would take that and he would kind of just hit him in the side of the leg with it. Kind of yeah. get going, get going. And so eventually the ox learned that, you know, when he grabs that stick, I know what's coming next. So, so the ox would kick against the goad. And I love Spurgeon's illustration this here. The only problem with you kicking against the goad is you're going to drive the metal deeper into your own flesh. And what was intended just to get you moving, it's going to be worse now. It's going to be harder on you. And listen, some of us find ourselves in that place, you know, there's a God who has an intention for our lives. He wants to get us moving into it, but we don't feel like it. We don't feel like it for all kinds of reasons, everything from laziness to fear to, we got our own, I want to go that way, I don't want to go that way, and God taps us. How much better just to get on our way so I don't have to get tapped again, right? Just keep moving. Just keep moving in God. God's tapping. Keep moving. Walk with, submit to God. Yield your will to his will. Why, why is that so hard to do? I mean, can we just think that through for a second? Why is it that we have grown to value our own will and our own preferences so highly? Are we really that good at figuring out what's good for us? Come on. Anybody ready to write a book, the ultimate book on how to make everybody happy and just enjoy everything all the time? You ready to write that book? I've got a will. There are things that I want and I just value what I want. And then God comes along and he wants something. I don't have a place for that. to I mean, this is, this is like GameStop stock. Somewhere along the way, you and I have learned in the world that we live in, to exaggerate the price of our own will to some ridiculous level to where for us it's worth gazillions we're billionaires our will is so valuable whatever i want next in my life whatever my preferences are and god's sovereign will is so cheap how does this happen right How is it that the God of the universe who is perfect, who designed us, who created us, who has intentions, who has the only rescue plan available for a fallen world with sin everywhere around us? He's the only one who can get us out of here. But yet his will is not as attractive to us as our own will. That's what's at stake here. So to to reset, to reboot in this category is to humble ourselves under the mighty hand and will of God. Now, does that sound like a bad deal to any of us? Does that sound like, oh man, that's the one thing I don't want to do. That's going to end bad. That's not going to be good. Remember, the most fully alive human being, the most fully alive human being was Jesus Christ. He didn't live under the sin infection that you and I, he lived in a fallen world, but sin didn't float around in his veins in such a way that a lot of his energy was just spent being deceived, going in the wrong direction, doing things for the wrong reasons. That's not Jesus. He's the most fully alive person. Whatever he does next, it's the best and best thing to do. But this is how Jesus talked about his life. John chapter five, verse 19. So Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, the son can do nothing of his own accord, but only what he sees the father doing. Jesus, which, what do you want to do, Jesus? Whatever I see the father doing. That's what I want to do. John five thirty. I can do nothing on my own. As I hear I judge and my judgment is just because I seek not my own will, but the will of him who sent me. Right? Jesus lived as a human being under the idea that his will was submitted to somebody outside of him. He lived like a creature who had a creator. He lived as though he had a will that was to be submitted. That's how it was designed. It's designed not to act in independence, not to find its own way, but to find God and submit itself to him. John 6, 38, for I have come down from heaven, not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. Jesus doesn't apologize for this. He doesn't doesn't act like, man, I drew the short straw. I got the worst deal, man. I live my whole life doing what somebody else wants me to do. That sounds horrible to us, doesn't it? That's the one thing we all want to avoid. We don't want anybody imposing their ideas on us. We don't want anybody hemming us in. We don't want anybody telling us in modern motivational language that, that there's a ceiling in our life. No, tell me sky's the limit. Tell me I can do and be anybody that I want to be. That's what I want to hear. And Jesus comes as a full human being and says, I don't do anything but what I'm told. That's upside down, huh? John 4, this is a great illustration Jesus installs. He's been having a conversation in John 4 with the woman at the well, and his disciples have gone off, and they've come back, and it's been a while. And so their concern is whether he's eaten anything all day long. Verse 31, meanwhile, the disciples were urging him, saying, Rabbi, eat. But he said to them, I have food to eat that you don't know about. I wonder what they're thinking in that moment, right? Wait, did somebody get like slip him a turkey sub? You got something to eat, Jesus? Disciple said to one another, has anyone brought him something? Verse 34, Jesus said to them, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. I love that he, he picked this up in an illustration. I can get my mind around this because I, I like food. My food, right? What does food do for you? I mean, it's an event, isn't it? I mean, if, if it's done up well. You go out to eat, go somewhere special. It's an event, man. You're sitting down. You got this culinary experience about to take place. Your mouth's about to just go nuts. You're going to enjoy that, and then it's going to get in you, and you're going to be satisfied. And you're just going to want to maybe like sit down on the sofa and you know watch the Saints game or something. Just kind of oh, I'm so satisfied. Right? Food is about inner satisfaction, isn't it? And Jesus says, "I've got some food that you don't know about." What is it, Jesus? Well, it's, it's to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. Oh, that sits in me like a oh, like a great meal. I'm, I'm just so satisfied by that. Listen, I, I, I don't know that I wake up each day and that's what I have for breakfast. Keith, what are you looking forward to today? Oh, just doing the will of my father. And seeking to advance his kingdom. And then before I go to bed at night, my cookies and milk are just rehearsing. Lord, today I had the joy of fulfilling your will in my life and advancing your kingdom in this world. I put my head down tonight, a satisfied man. And that's a little different than flipping through Instagram just before you go to bed. And noticing what everybody else is getting to do that you're not. The life they're getting to live. The stuff they get to have. The smiles on their place, on their faces as they get to go all kinds of fun places. And you stare at that and you think, I'm not satisfied with my life. Why isn't my life that? Why don't I have that? How come I'm not there? Why do they get to send their kids to school there? And I, we can barely not satisfied." Maybe we're we're eating the wrong stuff, right? Maybe Maybe our diet is not in the right categories. Jesus lived as though doing the will of God, submitting to God's will was food for the soul. It would bring something to you that was second to none, and you could never get talked out of it. I mean, even what Spurgeon describes about Jesus comes from Matthew 26 when he's in the garden of Gethsemane. In the most difficult moment any human being has ever faced, he's, he's knowing he's about to face the once and for all judgment of God against all sin. God's cup of wrath is about to be poured out for our sin. In a moment, Jesus can begin to see the tipping of that cup coming upon him with all of its rage and fury and perfection against sins that he never committed, but we did. And he's in that moment. And he's saying, Father, if it's possible, can that cup pass from me? Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. Listen, even in that moment, a moment you and I will never face, we will never face that suffering, that level of experience that he faces. And even in that moment, he says, more important that your will be done than anything else that's powerful. That's a powerful force in the human soul. Here's what characterizes Jesus, and I'm going to let us pray in just a second here. Philippians chapter 2, familiar verses to us, powerful verses to us, because they put on display what's going on on the inside of Jesus. Verse 6 says, though Jesus was in the form of God, he did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped but he emptied himself. Right there is this submission in the Godhead, where the God of the universe, Jesus Christ, who is one of the members of the Trinity, empties himself. He he takes a severe downgrade and pay cut. Then he takes the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. So now he's in the form of a man. All right, what do he do as a man? Being found in human form, he humbled. Himself. So he emptied himself as God. And when he put on human form, he humbled himself. First order of business that Jesus would humble himself as a man. That's why we get these admonitions in scripture. Therefore, humble yourselves. This is what humanity does. It humbles itself before God. First order of business for Jesus when he starts his ministry is to go 40 days into the wilderness and fast as a means of humbling himself. So humbling yourself as a human being is a massively important deal. He humbled himself by becoming obedient. He submitted his will to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him. You see these principles over and over again in scripture? There is an exaltation. God is interested in exalting our lives. The the perfect God of glory, the smart genius of God has a plan to exalt your life in some kind of way, in ways that are familiar to us from scripture and in ways that are probably unique to your own story. God intends to exalt. But that exaltation gets preceded by humble yourself under the mighty hand of God so that at the proper time, God may exalt you. So here's where I want to land us with our, our reboots this morning. You know, there are moments in our lives where, where our attitude, where our willfulness needs to get rebooted. We just do. We can find our way to a place where we, we, maybe at one point in our lives we were deferring to God's will, deferring to God's will, we were open to him, but something happened Something painful happened. Something discouraging happened. Something hopeless happened. Something confusing happened. And suddenly we kind of pulled back that will. And we kind of began to be a little defiant in our will. We want to protect ourselves. We don't want God to hurt us. We don't want God. And so now we don't want to do certain things. Risky things. Things that take faith. I don't want to do that. Well, at that moment, my, my will is becoming a defiant will. It's becoming a will that's not submitted to God. And listen, I I can't live this year with that kind of a will, right? Because God gives grace to the humble and he opposes the proud. So when my will becomes defiant, it's because I trust me more than I trust God. I have a higher opinion of what I call safe and worthy and rewarding than I do of God. Well, that's what pride is. It's looking to me in a way that I won't look to God. And God comes right out and says, well, can I just tell you what the days ahead are going to be like? I oppose the proud. I give grace to the humble. So perhaps no matter what you and I are experiencing right now in our lives, perhaps one of the most important things you and I could do is humble ourselves, submit ourselves under the mighty hand of God to adjust our heart, our will in this. Now I want to introduce something to you in just a moment that we're we're doing to start the the year uh, that we're calling twenty one twenty one day prayer reboot. So. In the scriptures, there are examples where where people actually humbled themselves. Jesus humbled himself for 40 days in the wilderness. Uh, There was a humbling of Daniel that we'll learn about that took 21 days where he humbled himself. And God showed up in powerful ways. God drew near to him as he humbled himself and drew near to God. And that's true throughout scripture. There's something that gets said all the way back in Deuteronomy chapter 8 that God reveals. Remember the 40 years of wandering in the wilderness? God was humbling his people and he comes right out and tells them that. And I don't know, maybe you don't like that idea that wait, wait, God messes with your head that way. Yes. Cause I need him to, All right? So here's De- Deuteronomy eight verse one says this, the whole commandment, God says that I command you today, you shall be careful to do. That you may live and multiply and go in and possess the land, right? So there is some human activity here. Do what I'm telling you to do so that when you go into the land, the promised land, it's going to be an abundant land, a multiplying place, a place that that you take possession of. And you shall, verse 2, you shall remember the whole way the Lord your God has led you these 40 years in the wilderness, that he might humble you. remember they were on the doorstep going into the promised land and God said, uh, go take a few more laps, 40 years worth. Why? Well, here he tells us why. So that I can humble you so that you'll submit your will to me and you'll let me be God and you'll get out of the business of being God for yourselves. You'll just submit to me as God. So he said that he might humble you testing you to know what was in your heart whether you would keep his commandments or not and he humbled you and he let you hunger and he fed you with manna All right and then take this into the circumstances of our lives he he let you hunger he let your tummy growl he let your life go i'm hungry Is there going to be any food? He he let you turn into your kids in the back seat on your way somewhere distant. When they are hungry and they are irritable, he let you become that to reveal something, to reveal our need. But then he fed them with something that came from heaven, manna. They'd never seen it before. I have food that you know not of. God brings provision into our hunger in, in amazing, unique, God like ways. And he goes on and he says, Which you, you did not know, nor did your fathers know, that he might make you know that man does not live by bread alone, but man lives by every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. How many guys would recognize that, that you know, our, our life is so filled with. Lots of human effort to make our lives everything that it could be. We are twenty-four-seven trying to figure out what app to download next, what place to go next, what experience to have next that's going to make our lives feel good and rewarding and fulfilling. We're living a pace of misery trying to get this accomplished. What if God? What if God knows that what our hearts need is is, is Him? right food that is not like the food that's out there what if we are to eat something that's coming from him that we don't live by bread and the stuff that everybody else lives by i know everybody else is buying tesla uh gonna be a bad deal oh but it looks really good Everybody else is living life, trying to get some kind of bread into their soul. But God says, no, but I've got this thing for you that you would live by every word that comes out of my mouth, that you would get around me, that you would humble yourself before me. So here's what we want to do this week. I'd gone away this past week to pray for a couple of days and just came back, just the season in which we're living. I think, you know, some of us personally as a church, the world that we're living in, uh, I, I think it takes more than business as usual in some ways. And so we're going to ask for you to, to consider engaging something with us. I'm doing this personally. The leadership team is doing it. Uh, beginning Wednesday, we're going we're gonna to take 21 days to pray and fast to submit ourselves to God, to humble ourselves before the Lord, to draw near to him, to fast and separate ourselves from some natural things that we keep using to provide the bread for our souls, right? Which when you do that, can I just tell you, your, your tummy's gonna rumble. Something on the inside of you is gonna go, Ugh! what do I do now? I'm bored. I think I'll go back and watch TV. Um, uh, That's exactly where God wants you to get. He wants you to get where you are detaching yourself from the natural things of this world and submitting yourself to him, humbling yourself. And can I just tell you, there are moments when we do that, that God feeds our soul with something that nothing else can do, nothing else can accomplish for us. There are things that God has for you in your life, in your family. There are things that God has for us as a church that we need an encounter with God that comes from this humbling, right? Jesus starts his ministry 40 days in the wilderness. Before he's going to go off and do ministry, he needs something. Even he needs to humble himself before God. And God is going to impart something through that humbling that's going to take him into the next place. There's probably some things in your life right now, some hard things in your life, some immovable things, some things that have convinced you that you're never going to change that. Well, maybe when you humble yourself before God, you'll find that he will exalt that situation in all kinds of powerful ways. But but you need to encounter him. So 21 days of prayer and fasting. We're going to begin on Wednesday of this week. And we're going to go three weeks. And then we're going to have a time where we come together uh, on a Wednesday night to to just come together and pray and celebrate together. But this this is a corporate thing we're doing, but it's an individual thing. It's you encountering God. It's you getting around God. It's you making space for God. So to keep up with it, you're going to need something from these locations, right? You can go to our app. You can go to our website, our YouTube channel, or our Facebook page, and you can find some helps and some resources because I'm not preaching on this every week. I'm just bringing it up. And then you go grab these resources, get in your prayer closet, spend some time with God. Find something that's going to work for you. You'll find a template that we're going to create. You'll find some information that you can schedule something. But the schedule's got to work for you. You could get creative and the, God could lead you in some different ways. He, he could lead you to pray and fast an entire day once a week for the next three weeks. Just taking significant time out of, a, out of one whole day just to give up food, to get around God and turn your attention to him and cultivate awareness of God. God could have you take the next 21 days and fast from social media. He could do that. I know that'd be radical, wouldn't it? That might detach some natural rhythms in such a way that God finds this unique space and time to encounter you and meet with you in powerful ways. Or maybe just it's, hey, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to shut the TV off at night on, on every Tuesday and Thursday night of the week. I'm just shutting it off and I'm just going to get with God and I'm going to wait on him. Hey, let God lead you in that. We're not trying to tell you exactly how to do that, but we are asking you to do this. I think God's got some things for us that come from humbling ourselves and receiving the grace that comes through that vehicle. I think he's got that for some of you. I think he's got that for us as a church. So I don't want to treat this like, well, yeah, that's for some of you guys. It sounds to me like this is the kind of grace that comes to you as a result of drawing near to God, of humbling yourself. God gives mega grace, a greater grace, another aspect of grace into our lives. All right, so go to these... uh, locations, and once you've downloaded that material or printed it out, then you can delete all those apps and never use them again for the next 21 days. I'm just kidding. But do something that's going to give you some space in your life. Does that make sense? Everybody shake your heads. Yes. Because I know I'm throwing a lot at you this morning, but I really, I want you to come ask us questions or call the church office if you need some help. Because we really do want everybody, especially our leaders and our prayer team, to get on board with us in the next 21 days. But can I pray for some of you guys this morning just in this message? Can you stand up with me and let's just ask the Lord to, to meet us with his grace for where we find ourselves in this moment. Father, I want to pray for those who are here this morning, and Lord, their life just in the recent months, years, even has felt like a life that they, they just honestly they didn't want. It's not where I wanted to be. This is not how I thought it was going to go. God, I've just got issues, and I've got questions, and my will has become defensive or resistant to you because I just haven't liked the way life is. God, I want to pray for those who are here this morning who are feeling that. I want to pray for supernatural help. Holy Spirit, would you help us? God, we have looked upon you in ways that we have misunderstood you. We have seen things in ways that aren't accurate. Lord, we're investing in game stock. God, there's a reality about who you are that really is attractive and it's inviting and it's a place that our soul feels right to humble ourselves, to come near to you and submit our lives to you. So Holy Spirit, help us right now. Lord, we can't live at odds with you. We, we cannot be those people who strive against your hand. Lord, even for those here this morning where life has been hard, it's been a bitter cup. Lord, would you give grace this morning to be able to stand before you and say, Lord, nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. Lord, if the cup that you have proportioned for me is bitter, Lord, give me the grace to drink it to the bottom in trust of you because I know that you are the God who exalts those who are humbled before you. I trust that there's, a, there's an end to this story that brings glory to your name. God, I trust that doing your will matters more for my life than anything else that I could do. God, would you, this morning, this year, this 21 days before us, God, would you, would you end the war that some of us are having with you? Lord, we're at war with you. We only want to get around you when things are going the way in which we understand them to be good. But Lord, you're at work and you're faithful. You've sent your son to reclaim our lives. You have an undying love for us. You invite us to cast our cares on you because you care for us. God, if we've misplaced that, God, we apologize this morning. You are not a God who is distant. You are not a God who doesn't care. Lord, you have loved us with an undying, gracious love. And you're at work in our lives, even though we can't always see it. God, would you help help us, Lord, by the Spirit, to humble ourselves, to draw near to you, to submit our wills to you, to be willing to do whatever you have for us. And Lord, I know that just can't be this moment, God, because tomorrow is going to have its new difficulties, and and this this is going to be tested. God, we we could use some days here in the next 21 days to receive courage and faith and help to be able to walk in obedience and submission to you. So Father, would you you make the, the coming 20... Four days here, 21 days that are set aside. Lord, would you make that a powerful moment for us, for us as individuals, for some who are struggling here right now. Some marriages that are struggling. Some families that are struggling. God, would you, would you let abundant mega grace find its way into these places? God, for those who have had wayward situations and children and husbands and wives, Lord, would you flood this moment with a grace that's powerful and redeeming and overcoming those situations? God, would you do that for us as a church, Lord, as we emerge from a pandemic season into purposes that you have for this hour, for us to accomplish, to do your will, to bring glory to your name? Father, that's what we're asking for. Would you reboot our humility? Let us humble ourselves before you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. God bless you guys. Have a great week. You guys at home, we miss you. Thanks for joining us through live stream. So glad that we could at least connect with you this way. We hope to see you guys soon. If there's something we can help you guys with, please let us know. Prayer chain's available. Send us some prayer needs. We're praying for you. And we'll see you guys again next week.